You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh yeah! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Radio Troy Radio, episode 513, coming to you on Wednesday, October 18th. We're going to look ahead to Saturday night's battle between USC and their arch nemesis, the Utah Utes at the Coliseum. The Trojans and the Utes playing 5 p.m. on Big Fox. We're going to preview it and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to email us, Reign of Troy, fansite.com, and our phone number, 818-643-7227. Second Whisper and Show. I'm your host, Mike Casillo, joined with my co-host here in the Rain Troy studio in Los Angeles, slightly under the weather, but still here, Elisa Dertola. Hello, everybody. You're trucking through. I'm trying. I'm uh, I'm, pl- I'm playing injured, but, uh, you know, the, 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 doctors, <laughs> the doctors shot me up with the good stuff, and we'll see if I can that's, go. That's the important part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're like Patrick Mahomes in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, welcome to everybody who's watching us live on the old uh, YouTubes. Uh, lots of a uh, lo- lot of you guys are right here as always. Uh, we're excited because um, 
First of all, big sh- big shout out to everyone noticing that I'm not wearing a hat today. <laughs> it's it. I didn't realize this was going to be such a such a talking point. It's a notable thing. You're well, usually wearing a hat. <laughs> well, it was funny because you um when uh when we hopped on, you're like you're not wearing a hat today? Like why aren't you wearing a hat today? What's going on? Uh no, we we have dinner plans. We're we're going to dinner. And uh I if I wear a hat, then I've got hat head and you don't want You're just going to have a headphone head and, uh, and This is true. It's, it's going to backfire. Be the same problem. Yes, it, it absolutely uh is going to backfire. But yeah, here we go. Uh Smoth says yeah. it's Alicia's flu game. Yes, it's Alicia's flu pot. Your hair your hair's looking a little long. You may want to call your barber to uh, get a haircut. Yeah. It's my barber, I I tell you. Completely unreliable she is. But uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, let's get into USC uh, this week and Utah because here's the thing about Utah. Utah might not have a lot of things that are legal in Utah, like buying alcohol at a grocery store. You can't do it. You got to go to the state store. You know what else you can't do in Utah? You can't gamble on your Trojans. Can't gamble on your Trojans in California, but if you're in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Indiana, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, then this is your week because you can bet five bucks and get two hundred bucks instantly in bonus bets. And get a no sweat single game parlay every day if you join DraftKings. It's DraftKings' new promotion. That's all you gotta do. Bet five bucks to instantly claim two hundred bucks in bonus bets. All you gotta do is use the sign up code Reign of Troy, all one word, uh, and help support this very podcast. So if you're considering signing up for DraftKings, make sure you use the code Reign of Troy to maximize those first bets and parlays. This offer, of course, only available to new customers who are twenty one plus and physically present in all of those legal gambling states that I mentioned. Uh, please remember to always gamble responsibly and check the episode description for the full terms of the offer to see if you qualify. All right. Yeah. Cool. Let's just get into it. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. USC and Utah locking horns 5 p.m. on Big Fox. Uh, it, it's what? What would you say? This is—is is this a rivalry? Yeah, yeah, it's a rivalry. I think it's a rivalry. 
Yeah. I think I think it's pretty arrogant if USC doesn't call it a rivalry, considering the fact that Utah has been the team responsible for USC not reaching its dreams in the last uh, last few years. Utah has been the one that has dominated uh, the Pac-12 South in the last few years. These games are always very either hard fought or uh, rice eccles. Mm-hmm. USC definitely is in a position where you have to say like this is a rivalry. It's as and USC yeah. and Utah fans certainly act like it's a rivalry. So yeah, it's it's this is essentially what uh, SC Stanford was uh, mm-hmm. uh, for like a decade. Um, it was SC Cal before that, but now it's Utah. This is this is the interconference rivalry that is strictly a football rivalry, right? Uh, but this is the last one. The last one. What what would be your prevailing thoughts of this SC Utah entanglement as we move forward next year, where there won't be any of those things? Um, I think my prevailing thought will be one of um of disappointment in USC in in this rivalry. I, like mm-hmm. I said, I think that U- Utah has gotten the better of USC way too often in this rivalry for it to um, not be something that you look at and think like this is this is an area where USC wasn't able to uh, to compete at a high enough level. There are too many games at Rice Eccles that ended poorly for USC for a million different reasons, uh, whether they were blowouts or felt like blowouts or were just lost on Sloppy play or mm-hmm. or miscues, all of that. Uh, I think there are only two two blowouts. That, that's um, why, like the Helton year in twenty twenty one, which he got fired, and right in twenty eighteen was not not yeah, a great. The Dante Williams game, I guess yeah. you could say twenty eighteen was a weird one because I I think that's a blowout, but it's it's one that SC competed, you know, for a lot of that game, right? Um, but you could if, probably say that about the Dante Williams game. If you had told Utah when they entered the Pac-12 that they would have, what is it, uh, three, four, five, six, seven for USC, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, th- that they would go six and seven against USC, they would look at you and say, my God, we really did a really good job coming into the Pac-12. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think so. I, I think this is going to be this is a series that, uh, you know, goes pretty much on home and road splits, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah has never won hadn't won at the Coliseum until two years ago. Uh, they have not beaten a full time head coach. It was the Dante Williams uh, Trojans that that Utah beat two years ago. Mind you, it was an emphatic, absolute, you know, uh jiggle bagging in in that game right so like this is a game where i think sc needs to establish that they still have that that home road split advantage at least at home to hold serve uh but i think it's a series that has provided a ton of great games uh objectively if you're looking at this from the outside every game that sc is law like not every game in the 2018 game we talked about but 20 uh, 2014, last second loss to Travis Wilson, right? 2016, last second loss to my guy, Troy Williams. 2017, SC stops Troy Williams. Oh, sorry, 2015, the three-pick Cam uh, Cam Smith game. 
Uh, SC was favored, even though Utah was number three in the country, which was funny, and it was the three-pick game from Cam Smith. Uh, 2016, the the Troy Williams game, that's Darnold's first start. million turnovers for SC, but it took until the last minute uh, for Troy Williams to score on a a pass to Tim Patrick, right, I think? Um, Or did he walk in the end zone? I don't remember. Uh, 2017... Jaina Harris makes the stop on the two-point conversion at the end of the game where Utah was... Dramatically, yeah. Yeah, was was trying to take the lead there. Uh, Take the lead or tie. I don't remember. Either way, it was a two-point conversion at the end. Um, 2018 was that blowout. 2019, SC wins in the Matt Fink game, the YOLO ball game. Uh, YOLO raid. Yeah, that was Uh, That one weirdly reminds me of this game in the sense that that was USC bouncing back from the three interception performance at BYU in Keaton Slovis's worst start as a Trojan, uh, at least statistically in terms of the picks. Three star- three picks at BYU. SC comes around and comes back and just wins anyways uh, in the Yolo Red game because Keaton Slovis gets hurt on the second play of the game. Uh, 2020, uh, the, the year that doesn't count, SC finally gets a win at Rice Eccles in that... Uh, weird pre-cam rising Utah thing that I don't remember the guy that they started. I I, I don't think Utah people remember the guy that they started. The <laughs> the transfer from Baylor. Yes, I know exactly what um, you're talking about. Yeah, sure. Uh, 2021, we know what happened. Uh, 2022 last year, SC and Utah meet twice. First game, absolute slugfest that goes down to the very end. It's a two-point conversion, which Utah gets this time. Uh, taking the lead, they go to the two-point conversion to try to win because they knew they couldn't stop Caleb Williams and, and SC for too long. And they got it. Cam Rising just absolutely being a thorn in SC's side. And he was a thorn again December when they met because SC goes up 17-3, to Caleb Williams gets hurt, and then the whole world crumbles uh, for SC, and they get... Uh, absolutely lily warped in that game. So, yeah, uh, here we are. Uh, SC and Utah going into a game at the Coliseum on Saturday that I don't know. I like. Is either team feeling good going into this one? SC, of course, coming off of the loss to Notre Dame, in which they get blown out in South Bend, and then there's. Utah, who is five and one, number fourteen in the country, this is a good team. Like, don't don't get me wrong, this is a good team. This is also a very one-sided team that it might be the worst Utah offense we've seen since they got to the Pac-12. Maybe since like 2013. Well, it's it's weird because usually that's assuming Cam Cam Rising doesn't play. Because the, the Cam Rising question is the big question, but... Right, but before Cam Rising, Utah wasn't exactly known for their quarterbacks. They had some decent, sure. effective quarterbacks, but they were run game. It was always Utah's run game. And I think the weird thing about this team is that their run game, up until the, the Cal game where they sort of magicked their way into figuring out that they're starting, that their their best player on defense, <laughs> Sione Vaki, was also their best player on offense uh, by having him be a wildcat quarterback. Yeah. Uh, the, until until then, their run game had not been anything particularly special. But I mean, in part because they're 
their offense has been so one-dimensional this year because there's been that lingering whose team is it kind of question. And Mm -hmm. so long as Cam Rising was practicing but not cleared to play, and then it was, well, are they going to be starting Nate Johnson? Are they going to be starting... Um, Bryson Barnes Barnes. they were going back and forth between those two quarterbacks it didn't feel like they had an identity in terms of of what they knew that they were going to do at quarterback and that's probably what has hindered their rushing offense from being more effective because opposing defenses have basically just been able to say like well you know so long as you don't have Cam Rising out there I don't have to respect your quarterback so uh, we're just not going to let you do that to us um, it's it's been very difficult for them, specifically because of the limbo that the Cam Rising and Brant Keithy sort of situation has been. Those are if if you came into the season and asked me which two players most are, are most important to Utah's identity as an offense, I would have told you Cam Rising and Brant Keithy. So you got to feel for them. It's 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 been a tough spot for this offense, and the numbers bear out that it's been a very tough slog, tough slogging, which makes their five and one record all the more impressive. Yeah, because they have gutted out some wins, the lowest scoring wins of your life. Like Iowa would be proud of these wins uh, against UCLA and you know Baylor and Florida and Cal. Uh, easily could have lost most of those games if if this team didn't have as effective of a defense as they have or if they hadn't done just enough on offense to get away with it. Yeah, and, and let's talk about this this offense a little bit more. Uh, with, with the quarterback situation, um, gigantic question mark. Um, Cam Rising, of course, got hurt in the Rose Bowl against Penn State. Um ACL tear, right? And, and well, my, is it not an ACL tear? It's it, now been revealed that it was a full knee blow up. It was ACL, MCL, LCL. Like it was literally every CL that you can think of in a knee. Yeah, was basically gone. Um, at least that's that's the what was reported a couple weeks ago when the first picture of what actually is going on with Cam Rising was revealed. I if they had revealed this stuff over the summer we wouldn't have been talking about Cam Rising playing in September uh, because well, the, the doctor who is at, who happens to be the same guy who did the the Achilles procedure on Aaron Rodgers basically said, like, you cannot come back from this injury before 10 months. Like, it's yeah. a 10-month minimum. Well, 10 months from the Rose Bowl is October. And, <laughs> and if, we were if talking, I remember right, didn't, he didn't exactly get the surgery immediately, right, immediately after the Rose Bowl also. Yeah. So that makes it difficult. Cam Rising said on ESPN 700 in early October, this is a quote from Deseret.com, I'm grinding and doing everything I possibly can, and even the fact I'm going out there and practicing and everything is I'm ahead of schedule, and just I'm trying to make sure that I can be out there, Rising said. Uh, quote, no one wants to be out there with those guys just grinding on the field more than me. Um, big, but... It's one of those things where there's been questions to Whittingham. Like last week, there were questions like, did they screw up by not going out and getting a transfer portal guy? This week, he was asked about whether or not um, Rising and Keithy could redshirt. Uh, Whittingham said, quote, it is a possibility. It hasn't really talked been talked about at length or in detail, but certainly that is, that is something that is one way that this thing could break, and we'll see when that happens. Personally... 
I think that's what they should do. You, They've gone through six games. Unless you know that Cam Rising is going to come back this year and be a strong enough competitor to show that he is worthy of getting drafted and all those things, he needs to come back. Like, I, I think it's in the best interest for him to come back next year, prove that he got past the, the knee blowout, and and get drafted, right? Like, yeah, a, a in, whole season. In the right? NIL era, it's so much easier to do that, too, yeah. because I know you're giving up an NFL paycheck, but you're still, you're not out there making nothing coming back coming back to college uh he will have his nil opportunities it it buys him that time Mm -hmm. part of me thinks though that oregon b uh utah being five and one is almost working against cam rising in the decision here because and i like i I don't want to read too much into it would be easier if if the season had just gone to crap and they could they, yeah, would, well, the, the decision would make itself for them. Listen to the quote. Certainly, that is something. Uh, this, this, that's one way this thing could break, and we'll see what happens. That to me sounds like, well, if we need to give up on the season, if we need to give up on winning the Pac-12, then yeah, that's something that that we could look into and and make a decision about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if USC beats, uh, if USC loses to Utah, Utah's six and one going into the Oregon game. And then it's like, well, you know, do you have to lose to Oregon to say, okay, now we're giving up yeah. on the Pac-12? Like, by then you're in November, in, in almost near November. And the game's and, at Rice Eccles, too. Yeah, like, it's, yeah. I, I think it's tough. If they had lost to UCLA or if they had lost to Baylor on the road, I think it's so much easier to say, okay, you know, already a couple losses in the bag. Let's not, let's not yeah. do anything weird. But when you've got the defense playing as well as you do yeah and if you're utah you you should feel like we have the same offensive coordinators last year we mm-hmm. all we're missing is that identity that our quarterback brings if you can plug him in like i don't i don't disagree with the idea that if you say we're going to shut him down and and decide not to play him right now um are you wasting a season where you could win the Pac-12, where you yeah. could, you know, it's, it's tough. But it's, but it's tough to say, especially when Utah, four years in a row, has made it to the Pac-12 championship game, four full seasons in a row, save for the COVID year. Like, mm-hmm. nobody's better at getting the Pac-12 championship game, especially winning it the last two years, than Utah. Like, you should not overlook them. Last year, they lost in Eugene uh, in November, and they still found a way to make it, right? So, yeah. like, at 5-1, and one, just like every other, just like SC, SC has the intent. SC can just theoretically win out and just, you know, have their, their all the, they control their own destiny, right? Utah's the same way. Yeah. Um, Utah beats SC this week. They beat Oregon next week. Suddenly, they are a fringe they're, no, they're not friends. They're, they're in, in the, the top, top 10. 10. Yeah. Uh, and then they're looking at Washington and a shot at beating Washington for being the Pac-12's playoff uh, representative, right? Like, but you have to do that. And how are you going to I do mean, that if you don't have Cam Rising? Yeah. Uh, or if you do, I don't know. Uh, okay. Let's just for a second, assume that Cam Rising is not playing, which I think is just probably a safe assumption, but we'll see. I, ha- I have to admit, the moment I saw Whittingham say, like, oh, you know, we could think about redshirting rising, 
was the moment I thought, like, is this just gamesmanship and they are fully I, expecting to have I him trot out on Saturday? Like, I, I started getting into some cons- conspiracy brain that I just, it's I, not productive. I would not want Cam Rising's first game to be at the Coliseum. No, no. I, I wouldn't. I, I, I really, I like, at least the Cal game last week, and if as, he could have gone. And as, uh, I think Cigar said that it's it's been nine months to the day yeah. for, for Rising, like, from from the from the surgery from yeah. the surgery it, I mean, ten months was the minimum yeah I don't uh, I, I it's tough I it's don't know tough. how you can but but why why were they making noise over the last three weeks like he would be a game time decision over the last three weeks was that all game and gamesmanship yeah I don't know uh, let's talk about the quarterbacks uh, Bryson Barnes and Nate Johnson are the two quarterbacks Barnes started the first two games against Florida and at Baylor. But then was benched for Nate Johnson. Nate Johnson came in. He had a couple good drives against Florida, looked good early on, but he got the starting job against Weber, against UCLA, and then against Oregon State. The loss to Oregon State got benched sort of partly in that game, ended up scoring the only touchdown drive for the Utes in that game. But Barnes gets back after the bye week and starts against Cal. Uh, best win of the season last year, last week. Uh, for the Utes in terms of just total game control and being able to be in charge of a game. They absolutely uh, beat Cal sizably, especially they look good on offense. And that was because of what they did in the running game. Uh, Jaquindon Jackson has battled injuries all season long, but he's he's played in all six games. Uh, Jalen Glover has really struggled, only averaging 3.56 yards per carry. We know that both Micah Bernard and Chris Curry have suffered season-ending injuries in the backfield. So what does that mean? What do they do? They go to the Wildcats, Wild Ute, whatever you want to call it. And who is it? Sione Vake. Sione Vake is the best Utah defender, arguably. Safety, 33 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss. Uh, He plugs in like... Suddenly, this is a Miles Jack situation. <laughs> he rushes 15 times for a buck 58 last week uh, at home against Cal with two touchdowns while also making five tackles on defense. He was a Paul Horning two-way player of the week award winner. Uh, this is an interesting situation because looking at Cal's offense, which is predominantly inept, they do not have good quarterback play. They've resulted to putting their best best athlete in a wildcat situation at quarterback. Is this not what ASU did against SC four weeks ago? I mean, without the, yeah, without, without the, the, the two ways without the two way angle. Yeah. Well, and that's why I'm looking at this game. I'm looking at this game and, and I know there's a lot of doomsday uh, scenario talking around around USC. The vibes around the program are, are just not good right now. Certainly not in the fan base. Um, but I, I look at it and you just... you USC has the advantage of not being caught off guard by knowing that, that Vaki is going to be the guy in that yeah. wild card. And, and, and I've seen a, a quote saying that basically uh, their offensive coordinator said that so long as he's available for the offense, he will be used on offense, which to me is a full go until we have to pull him because the defense can't function mm-hmm. with him getting, you know, going two ways. But 
USC isn't going to get caught off guard by this, which is an advantage. Yes, whereas the ASU game, that was Dillingham just like... Just pulling out of his bag. So yeah. you're you're too far into the season to expect to have too much. Like if Utah had stuff left in their bag, they should have been using it against teams like Oregon State and, and UCLA where they literally couldn't couldn't buy a touchdown. Right. Um, so that is a, a plus for USC. But, but you look across this lineup, certainly on offense... You can't lose to this Utah team at the Coliseum and make an excuse, make any excuses. You know, the way things went down at Notre Dame were weird, but this line, this offensive lineup is, has been just Mm -hmm. massacred by injuries. Like, Vaki is only playing because of all of the injuries to Charlie Vincent and Micah Bernard and and, uh, Chris Curry were, were about injured. They've lost Micah Pittman for the season. Mm-hmm. They haven't had Brent Keithy, and the guy who was filling in for him, uh, Yasmin uh, Thomas Yasmin, is, Australian rugby player, is now out for the season as well. The, yeah. This is this is a mess in terms of injuries for, for Utah. Um, we liked what we saw from USC's defense against a Notre Dame offense that was had a lot of skepticism around it coming in, and. The defense, all things considered, did very well mm-hmm. against that Notre Dame offense. You have to be able to look at this Utah offense and and expect the same. You you can't give up yeah. cheap cheap things to this this Utah offense because they're so wrecked by injury. Like you got to take advantage here. Well, so we've talked about SC's defense being the twenty eight point defense, right? If you're new here, 28 points. Uh, are they facing a good offense? Well, that's 35 points. They're facing a, an elite offense. That's 42 points you should expect SC to allow. The same is true in the negative. 28 points, bad offense, 21, horrific offense, 14. Where do you put that scale for SC's defense here? I think it's at least 21, right? Like it's, it's, It has to be 21 or like or under. So we we should expect that SC should be able to hold them to 21 points. You would the, the only teams just, that just put 21 points in the in the 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 box score and assume that Utah's going to score 21 points. Well, you shouldn't even want to let this team score 21 points. I agree. But, I but, agree, but this uh, is a, this is a USC defense that we know um allowed Colorado to claw back into the game, allowed mm-hmm. ASU to claw back into the game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they spotted Arizona with 17 points, and maybe that game will end up looking much better because Arizona looks like they're actually a pretty damn good football team. But the numbers don't don't look great for SC. We know that SC has, has struggled on defense. Last week, um, they allowed 48 points, but so many of those were not on the defense, right? So, I I don't know. I, I think that 21 is that number, I think, um, for this week. Just expect that you have to score more than 21 points, which means we have to talk about the USC offense going up against the Utah defense. And that's a tough one because Utah's defense, 10th and S&P+, plus, they are number one, I, I according to the NCAA rankings page, the number one in rush defense. Um, according to CFB stats, they're number two behind James Madison. I don't know. James Madison, do, do they not have full-blooded FBS membership? I don't know why the NCAA site doesn't 
recognize well, it, right? They're not bowl eligible. Like that. Like I just saw a thing that they're trying to contend. They're maybe, FBS, but they're not. Maybe that's in, what it is. They're in probation or whatever. You know it, where they. It could be transition period. Either way, if Utah's number two, even though the, even if they're number two, uh, it's insane. It's insane how good this rush defense is uh, for the Utes. Uh, they do not allow uh, anyone to sort of run on them. Uh, 66.83 yards per game that they allow uh, on the grounds. Uh, they're holding teams to scoring just 12.2 uh, points per game. Uh, look back at the UCLA game. The UCLA game was an absolute slog of a game to watch. There were three um, touchdowns scored in that game. One of them, at least one, one of them was, was a defensive, defensive touchdown. Yeah, yeah, a pick six on the first drive of the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... This defense is going to give SC all that they can handle, which I don't think would be that difficult for SC if... For SC to clear the 21 points. If this was the USC offense that we were talking about against Stanford, that we were talking about against Nevada and San Jose State, those first three games in which they looked incredible, right? But we know that they had a bad quarter um, at ASU. We know they had a bad quarter at Colorado. We know that they had a bad game against Arizona, and they had a horrific game. Uh, against Notre Dame. So this is an offense that is sort of sputtering. It's a, all the the makings are for SC to have an elite offense, but they haven't been that in a couple of weeks now, a few weeks. So what offense are you going to get? This is an offensive line for the Trojans that has been an absolute sieve, and they're going up against a Utah defense that just completely wrecked UCLA a few weeks ago. Uh, in which they were had a billion tackles for loss, uh, a ton of sacks. We know that you know they're, they're led by by Vaki and at, at safety, also Cole Bishop, uh, four and a half tackles for loss as a safety. Vaki six and a half tackles for loss as a, as a safety, uh, which is nuts. Uh, Jonah Ellis thirteen tackles for loss and nine sacks so far this year. This. This defense is ridiculous. They've had their injuries too. Logan Fano, three and a half sacks on the season. Uh, he's out for the rest of the year, but this is a defense uh, that is really difficult to play, and it's they're catching SC at the right time because SC's offensive line has been exposed. Caleb Williams coming off the worst performance of his career, uh, coming off of two games on the bounce that have not been solid for, the, for last year's Heisman winner. Like, this is a great matchup for USC's, sorry, for Utah's defense if you're looking strictly in terms of form, right? Yes. Um, they're Notre Dame light in a lot of ways, uh, this, yes. this defense. The the one, if, if you're a USC fan and you want an optimistic take about uh, the numbers that you see for this Utah defense, it has to all hinge on, they haven't necessarily played a bunch of good de- good offenses mm-hmm. um kind of like USC's offense play you know USC will play a, a mediocre defense and make them look god awful but um uh, Utah's uh, Utah's defense is playing mediocre offenses and making them look god awful so the best offense that they've played this year by far is Oregon State and Oregon State's the one who got the win 
Uh, so, and that was on the road. So that's the optimistic look at this, at this matchup. But Utah is a defense that can get to the quarterback. Utah is the, a defense that can overwhelm an offensive line. Utah has safeties that are out there making plays. Um, and relative to their offense, their defense is actually a little bit uh, not completely decimated by injuries. Yeah. Uh, so that is a, that is certainly a matchup problem that you have to circle and look at. This is bad on bad and good on good again going into this game. And, and you, what we saw from USC last week is that uh, USC's good was not as good as Notre Dame's good in terms of the the offense going against that defense. Yeah. USC has to flip the script here. Now, they are certainly helped by this by this game taking place at the Coliseum. Uh, I saw um, uh, Equity Bruin on, on Twitter put out a, a, a list of the differential between uh, teams on the, the home road splits, essentially, and Utah mm-hmm. is 10 points better on at home than they are on the road, and USC is essentially the same, uh, whether they're playing home or away. So that is... Uh, and that was the last three and a half seasons, too, which is sort of bears out what we've always thought. Uh, Utah is an absolute menace at Rice-Eccles. Mm-hmm. Um when they've been on the road, they've looked less menacing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think you should overlook that, especially when SC got, you know, beat in Vegas last year, even with Caleb Williams' injury. Like, SC could not do anything right, uh, but that's on, why, on, on the offensive line or but any But that's other, why it's, it's so imp- – there are two things that USC has to do in this game to get out with a win. Number one is something that they did so poorly against Notre Dame, which is – don't give the opposing offense any boost. Mm-hmm. Don't turn the ball over. Don't put them yeah. in a short field. Don't give them that opportunity. And and I would even extend that out to the to a certain point out of USC's control. What happened in Vegas last year before USC got you know pasted by by the injury monster in uh, in Vegas? USC was controlling that game. Caleb Williams gets injured. Multiple key offensive linemen get injured. USC was already going into that game with some question marks in terms of the health of the offensive line. And it just all went down from, like that was out of USC's control, but that definitely handed Utah a lifeline in terms of their uh, not playing as well on the road or playing not playing as well away from Rice-Eccles. Uh, it handed them a lifeline. USC cannot hand them any lifelines. And that's why it comes to the number two thing, which is, USC has the advantage almost of knowing what happened last week against Notre Dame. This whole week should have been spent figuring out how to not have that happen again. Mm -hmm. Um, We have seen Lincoln Riley acknowledge that they are looking at personnel changes on the offensive line. And I'm very, very curious to see what that might look like, Uh, whether it's, personnel changes actually happen or the threat of personnel changes spurs better performances out of the players who manage to hold on to their jobs. Yeah. Uh, but also in terms of game planning, USC should, should USC has had a lot, a, a, a decent amount of self scouting that they were able to do from the tape against Notre Dame to understand where they went wrong in terms of adapting to what Notre Dame was doing to them in terms of figuring out what personnel changes they need to change in order to to not have that happen again. 
USC has a huge opportunity here to prove to everybody, and there are a lot of doubters out there in and outside the fan base. USC has a huge opportunity to prove that they took what happened against Notre Dame, learned from it, fixed the issues, and actually are still but in this But you got to see it. But you have to see it, you and that's why it. I'm so intrigued by this matchup because you almost couldn't ask for a better matchup from a from an analyst perspective, like from a from a USC fan perspective, like you wish you played a nobody or had a buy or something this week so that you could just get that bad taste out of your mouth. But from an analyst perspective, USC turning around and having to play this Utah team, which is essentially Notre Dame light, you have to figure out how much light that is uh, relative. But uh, you know, Kenneth in the chat is asking, do you think this is the season defining game? Well, it's the first of, of several season-defining games. But, uh, but yeah, how you respond to that Notre Dame loss will tell us whether it or not... can the pe- be. There's a lot of chatter out there about... If it goes really bad, I think it can be. Yes, absolutely. Um, if it goes really well, if though... It, if I it's think a squeaker, then, it, then the defining game is going to be Washington. You can sort of kick the can down the road, yeah. yeah. But uh, but to me, it's it's a... There's a lot of chatter around the USC program about the head coach. There's a chatter about like the locker room and the mentality of this team and all those kinds of things. And the they have failed to answer that chatter over the last couple of weeks. Can they do it this time? Like third time's the charmer, it's not. Yeah. Uh, that's um that's just sort of the way it goes, but this matchup is a really good one to prove that they have understood and corrected or- and solved. Or issues. it's the worst possible matchup. You're going to get exposed if you don't. Because you're facing the exact same kind of team that you faced last week and got absolutely paper scarfed with. Like, Yeah, but I, if that happens, if that happens, then that's what this team is. And that's right. that clarity is, uh, I'd rather have that clarity than right. go into the you know Oregon and Washington games thinking that USC has a chance. Yeah. Because a lot of the, a lot of the, the chat, like a lot of the reaction to what happened against Notre Dame, was was because it was a blindside, because it was mm-hmm. unexpected. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, let's get to over under and talk about this game a little bit more uh, under the guise of over under, shall we? So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right. Uh, let's start with the first over under of the. Well, we. I, I one of these days I'm going to remember that we talked about our standings first. Uh, Twenty three nineteen was me last week, or that's what I am going into this week. You are twenty and twenty two, so I have a nice little lead there, which is great for me. Great for me, uh, but that could absolutely change this week. What do you got? First one. I'm going with four point five Utah sacks. So, as we all know, USC gave up six sacks to Notre Dame. Uh, Last time USC met Utah, they had seven sacks. The time before that was four. Um, This year, Utah has five sacks against Florida and Cal, seven sacks against UCLA. They get get to the quarterback. They they get the quarterback. They get the quarterback down. Um, To me, this is very much a question of does USC's corrections on the offensive line do the are those effective in any way, shape, or form? Because it's yeah. hard to win a game when you give up five sacks. Yeah, SC's offensive line got jiggle bag last week against Notre Dame. I think this is an opportunity for SC to once again give up that many sacks. Um, 
taking the over. Uh, the line is high. Yeah. But Utah's been too consistent on their defensive line. I think there's at least a five-sack performance in here. Uh, it's about SC finding a way to circum- circumvent that. Uh, if this ends up being an over, I think that bodes well very much for SC. Um, but if not, that's, that's, that's bad news. So uh, I'll take the over. It locks you into the under. Let's go to the next one. Uh, what do you got? That's me. Yeah. I, I'm, there are all sorts of turned around I don't right know here. what's going on. Uh, over under 33.4 percent uh usc's third down rates why is it 33.4 well utah is number one in fbs in third down defense with a 23.1 conversion rate against oh my god 23.1 that's what they're holding teams to uh which is wild uh cal went four of 12 last week for 33 percent that was Utah's worst performance of the season on third down was 33.3%. Uh, they held Florida to one for 13. They held UCLA to three for 16. Uh, even Oregon state on the road in Corvallis went four for 15. Uh, it is not good what they can do to a third down defense. Uh, the Trojans were one of 12 on third downs at the PAC 12 championship game in Vegas last year against Utah. Uh, now, this is interesting because we know that SC has struggled. They've been at 33% or lower in four of their seven games this season, even though last year, I mean, sorry, last week, yeah, SC struggled on offense. They were good on third down, baby. Six for 13, 46% at Notre Dame. Trojan's best performance since week zero uh, in San Jose State. Uh, so who knows? Who knows what to expect here? The Trojans have struggled on third down. Can they get over 33.4? In other words, can they set the new season worst for Utah's defense? Over or under? 33.4%. I am taking the under on this. Um, It's just a feeling that I have. Uh, Utah's defense is very, very good. I think USC... USC almost has to be aiming for a thirty, like thirty percent. I I think if you're if you're between thirty five and thirty percent on third downs, I would I would take it at at this point. I I don't think that would be a losing margin. Yeah, I I I think it'll be fascinating to see how this goes. Uh, SC needs to keep drives extended. Uh, if they can do that on third down, that would be that would be massive for the Trojans. Uh, what's your next one? All right, I'm going 12.5 Utah plays of 10 plus yards. This is this is basically just like my obsession this year is the is the 10 plus 20 plus mm-hmm. yard play thing, but it it always feels relevant when I'm looking through the numbers. Uh Utah has not been an explosive play team. Uh, they are averaging 10.2 10 plus yards plays per game. They yeah. are in the bottom 10 nationally in terms of 10 plus yard plays this season uh they they just have not gotten the ball down the field very well but we know that usc loves giving up explosive plays uh usc is averaging 13.3 10 plus yard plays per game allowed uh which is not good so we're going 12.5 all right i 
This is 10-yard plays. I've done 20-yard plays. plays It's in not the, the 20-yard plays. If this was 20-yard plays, it'd oh, be yeah, the easiest be under this is against Utah, plays. for sure. Uh, Washington, if this was 20-yard plays, I might take the over. Uh, but Utah, and it's 10-yard plays. I So I looked at this line earlier uh, in our pre-show prep. I just... I don't trust Utah's offense. I know 10 plus yard plays isn't like those don't aren't overly explosive, but that's just a lot. 12 and a half. Give me the under Give me the under. Okay. Gets you into uh, the over there. Um, yeah. It just seems like a lot. Uh, my next over under is over under 4.495 USC's. Sack adjusted yards per carry. We talked about it earlier. Utah trails only James Madison in rush defense. No word, no word on where they rank in relation to Thomas Jefferson, but behind James Madison, uh, they're averaging sixty-six point eight yards per game and holding teams on in rushing to just two point four nine yards per carry. But let's parse out the sacks. When you take out the sacks, Utah's defensive sack-adjusted yards per carry is 4.18. In other words, running backs are rushing for 4.18 yards per carry against Utah. USC's sack-adjusted rushing average against Notre Dame last week, 4.7, which tied the Colorado game as USC's lowest performance of the season, 4.7. I am going to split the difference there. 4.495 4.495 USC's sack-adjusted yards per carry. We talked about it in the Notre Dame fallout episode that SC struggled to run the ball well with, with Lloyd and Jones. Um, Those numbers were not good. They were sort of buoyed by the 31-yard touchdown run. What say you? 4.495 uh, yards per carry. I'm going under on this. Uh, Again, just vibes. (laughs) I just don't want to take any overs on anything uh, in in this. Uh, I think that USC will probably have to sling the ball a bit in this Mm -hmm. game. I I don't think we're going to see USC run the ball a lot. Uh, I I think that would be really fun if they if they went out there and were like, nope, we're just we fixed our offensive line problems. Here we go. That would be really fun. I'm just not gonna bet on that uh, ever. So I'm going under just because I think that if USC was up above four in this margin again, I would feel I would feel fine with that. If USC was somewhere between four and four point five, I think that is yeah. not a losing margin either. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think it's going to be somewhere in that ballpark. I think this one is a really, really tough line to put together. Uh, what's your last over-under? What do you got? I'm going 2.5 passing touchdowns for USC. Um, USC hasn't, I mean, Utah hasn't given up very many touchdowns, period, this season. <laughs> they uh, Giving up three to uh, Oregon State was the most they've given up all season. Uh, but they certainly haven't given up passing touchdowns either over the last uh, last couple of years. They've been very good against the pass in that in that vein. Uh, they have not given up more than two passing touchdowns since Caleb Williams threw for three in the Pac-12 title game. Uh, 
Caleb Williams and DTR are the only quarterbacks in the last two seasons who have had three or more passing touchdowns against a Utah defense. So will Caleb be able to get his passing game going? Will he be able to do anything through the air? Because I think I wouldn't be surprised if we saw another Caleb scrambles for all the scores kind of game like he had against Arizona. Yeah. But that's not necessarily what I want to see. I I think that's what you're probably going to see. I mean, yes, Um, but... Yeah, I am going to take the under on this one. Um, I don't have this as a high-scoring game. Um, I don't think anyone does. Uh, So... I think there's just gonna not that may be many scores in it, and when there's not that many scores in it, that's fewer opportunities to score passing touchdowns. So, yeah, I think SC's gonna run for a touchdown or two, and that's gonna take away from the ability to hit three, which would qualify as the over. So, give me the under, which locks you into the over. That work for you? Mm-hmm. Cool. Last one. Um. I am going time of possession. This line looks weird, but I swear it's simple. It's essentially 27 minutes. Over under 26 minutes, minutes. 59 seconds, 59 and a half seconds. So essentially over under 27 minutes, USC time of possession. Utah is fourth in FBS in time of possession, averaging 34.1, uh, 30, sorry, 34 minutes and 17 seconds. It's not a decimal. 34 uh, minutes and 17 seconds. Meaning their opponents only average 25 minutes, 43 seconds, which is wild. Uh, SC is 114th in TOP, which is crazy when you consider that the Notre Dame game was their highest by far. It was the only game in which they went over 30 minutes, uh, which is a um, uh, 34-minute time of possession performance against Notre Dame. So uh, what's, uh, what, what's say you in this one? Yeah, this one's tough because, because we've seen USC's defense give up um, or, or have trouble getting off the field. Uh, so that will, will certainly contribute to a time of possession battle. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have a feeling that USC will have the ball a little bit more often because um because Utah's offense is is not necessarily all that effective either and mm-hmm. and as much as USC's defense has had a hard time getting getting off the field you still need the opposing offense to make the plays that yeah. keep them on the field and it feels like a toss up to be honest it feels like that's the, this is going to be a crap shoot where it's like 27 and three seconds. And <laughs> sure. so like, well, okay. So yeah, I'll go, okay. I'm going with the over there. You're taking the over. Yeah. I, I think that's probably a good call. It's a, it's a tough line because I think against anyone saying that they're going to be under 27 minutes just sounds nuts. Um, but Utah's just been so good at keeping the ball away. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll have to see how that goes. Uh, let's go into our predictions. Of course, um, the Vegas spread as of our uh, recording or putting together our rundown here. Uh, the Vegas line was the Trojans uh, favored by six and a half. Bill Connolly's SP plus numbers have the Trojans winning 31-25. Alicia, what is your prediction? 
I agree with Ron Burgundy in the chat. I have no idea what to expect from this team on Saturday. Uh, that's what makes this this game very difficult. I think the matchup on paper is concerning, considering the strength of Utah's defense, considering what we've seen from USC's offense, particularly the offensive line. In order to pick USC in this game, you have to at least somewhat believe that they can figure out the offensive line a little bit more clearly. That Not that the offensive line will be fixed entirely, but that the offensive line will be patched up to a point that, that the offense can actually function at even a, a middling level. And I kind of believe that that's going to happen. I kind of believe it. Okay. I, I think... Let's just, let's just score a prediction. I'm being optimistic, and I'm going USC 28, USC uh, Utah 24. I, I I actually think this is a case of optimistic, Alicia. Okay. I think that we will see... Oh, that's crazy. I think we will see USC put up more points than anyone has put up on Utah, but they're not gonna they're not going to blow Utah away offensively. And then defensively... As we just keep saying, USC is just, it's just, it, the defense is what it is. And a good performance against Notre Dame was probably still good enough for 25 to 28 points. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what Utah's going to be offensively. It's hard to say, but I do know what USC's defense is. And they are a 20 to 28 point defense. So I'm splitting the defense 24. Yeah. Against, against Utah, especially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. SC's lucky this game isn't at Rice Eccles. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Utah is not the same outside of the friendly confines of Rice Eccles. I, I, which SC team is going to show up? Is it going to be the team that's got their offensive line just completely mauled at, in South Bend? Or is it going to be the, the team that we saw earlier in the season where the offense looked unbeatable? It's probably going to be closer to the team that played against South Bend. It's in played in South Bend, especially when this is Utah. Uh, Utah away from home, though, I just don't trust. I don't trust them on offense to score many points. I think this is a matchup that bodes well for USC's defense. Uh, we know that SC's defense makes negative plays. I, I this offense, I, I I just don't trust. Uh, even if they're going to use the wild cards, the the wildcat stuff that worked for ASU, I do think it helps. Having seen a week of that, having it on film with Vaki, I I think that that would be uh, something. That, if Utah would have unveiled that in this game, absolutely, I think SC could have been, you know, taken off guard and not known how to react to it. Um, but they didn't. Uh, Utah used that used that offensive attack last week at Cal. And I think that helps SC, especially when the game's at the Coliseum. SC wins 23-17. The best thing that the USC defense should should be highlighting right now is that when you look at the stats, you see Utah's offense and you see Nevada a lot. Just on the stat, like in in, in national rankings, like in in, in yards, in total offense, in yards Mm -hmm. per play, all that kind of stuff. Like Utah is right around Nevada. I mean, they... They share a border. I mean, yeah. Uh, so, you know, what USC did defensively against Nevada was significantly better than what they'd done against the other teams that they faced. So, I don't know. It's uh, hopeful, I think. I, I wouldn't fall into that trap of thinking that that means anything. But 
Yeah. It is it is something so, that one thing I will say. Mm-hmm. I, I don't trust Utah away from Rice Eccles, but I am not in the business of overlooking Utah. Utah has gotten no. the Pac twelve championship game over and over and over again because for a reason. They're well coached. Um and being well coached usually travels. Usually. Um so yeah, don't don't think that this is a, a game in which SC will absolutely walk over the Utes. I do not expect that. So, twenty three seventeen is my prediction. Uh, let's get to the mailbag, shall we? Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You've got mail. All right. Uh, let's start with a long email. Long, 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 long email from Andrew, but it's a good one. Uh, here we go. Email from Andrew. Hi. Both, first off, huge fan of the show, and I also wanted to let, let you know that it was your pod- podcast that got my wife into USC football last year. She's now a huge USC football fan and listens to the podcast even on her own time. Uh, which is probably the most shocking thing I've ever seen in 35 plus years of life. So thank you. Hi, Andrew's wife. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> I, I wonder if she watches like the Charger fan lady. Yeah. You know what I'm I love, I love that. By the way, I love Charger fan lady. All the haters can go, can go, you know, go be miserable somewhere else. Don't be She's miserable intense. around me. Charger lady was awesome and we should embrace Charger lady more than, uh, than the, Stupid conspiracy theorists would be. Yeah. Uh, anyways, yes. Thank you. Uh, it's 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 a good it's a good little note there. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, Andrew continues. I had a comment that uh, emanated from Lisa's rant slash soliloquy today about how frustrated she is that people are questioning uh, Lincoln Riley as a head coach and her frustration that people don't realize that without a good offensive line, there's not much that can be done on offense, no matter who is coaching or who is playing quarterback. Well, this is technically true. I feel like you guys didn't take this argument to its next logical progression, which is, why is the offensive line bad? It's not for a lack of talent, or at least not for a lack of desired talent. Kingston would be the starting would be starting for Ohio State and pregnant for LSU if they weren't at USC right now. Monheim is borderline elite, 
Dietrich has clearly regressed into a near unrecognizable player this year, but we know he's been a very good college offensive lineman. Right tackle is a huge weakness, but Mason Murphy is no better of a player now than he was last year, so that's a lack of development. And Tarquin, who the heck knows, he's not good, but I don't think he's any worse than Bobby Haskins was. Anyway, here is my point. One week, it's the offensive line. One week, or nearly every week, it's the defense. One week, it's special teams. Next week, maybe it's the receivers. The pattern, these are all symptoms. USC is fitting every stereotype, archetype, slash archetype of a team with internal friction, lack of discipline, accountability, and cultural issues. There is literally no other explanation as to why they are consistently performing below their capabilities week after week, no matter the competition. Other than Marshawn Lloyd, Jamil Muhammad, and Bear Alexander, every single transfer has gotten worse this year than they were on their previous teams, even the punter. That is 12 of 15 transfers you aren't getting the quality from that you you were expecting. And if we say, well, this is a rebuild, it's going to take a while, recruiting is absolutely abysmal right now, barely even in the top 20. And if we say, well, they're putting all their NIL money into transfers because that's the safer option, see above. Was it safe to get Jack Sullivan, Keon Bars, Mason Cobb, Michael Tarquin, Jarrett Kingston, Traquan Fagans, Dorian Singer? Because that seems like one giant money pit on fire if you ask me. How is it a better strategy than developing your own players and creating your culture from scratch? So again, I know it's easy to talk about the specific problem areas from each game and dissect the X's and O's, uh, but it is really starting to feel like the problems with the team are bigger than X's and O's. And while I know you're going to defend Lincoln Riley here and understandably so, I don't know how you can see, uh, I don't know how you can blame anyone but him for how this season has gone and the trajectory that hit this problem Uh, This program is currently headed from a talent acquisition standpoint, which unfortunately is not going in the right direction. I'll stop there and I'll let you comment. Thank you, Andrew from San Francisco. Uh, thanks Thanks for the email, Andrew. I think that you make a ton of great points here. The... Um, point about the 12 of 15 transfers not being the quality that you were expecting, I think is damning. Absolutely. I, I, I don't know how you can argue against that, right? Um, hmm. well, I'm going to do it then. <laughs> uh, uh, great, first great email, uh, Andrew. I think, I think you're, you are certainly, uh, within reason here, logical. Uh, I think we just, I, I disagree on a couple areas. I don't think that these are fundamental disagreements. I just think we might be looking at things from a different perspective. Sure. Um, first, like poor Eddie Zaplitsky getting, uh, Zaplicki getting, um, catching the stray there. Like how is he regressed? He's doing fine. We don't have to talk about him. Like, like don't, don't take the shot at the punter. Um, but, uh, but, more than anything to me it's it's a question of being uh, reasonable re- really quick yeah his punting average is down it by was, like 0.2 percent like by it was 45.2 it's 45.26 this year it was 45.98 last year yeah so it, yeah that's not that's not that's not, not a mar- that's yeah. not an actual margin it's um, like two feet no. jesus uh <laughs> And that's that's not the argument. That's not the argument I'm going in. 
Um, it's about being reasonable, which you are. So I have no problem with your critiques of the status of the program. I'm not even like, like even at the front where you were saying that, you know, my rant about how frustrated I am with people questioning Lincoln Riley as a head coach. I'm not mad at people questioning Lincoln Riley. He deserves to be questioned. There yeah. are issues that the, like I said, the offense, the, the decision to bring back Alex Grinch, that's the, like if, if USC had a better defense, the way that UCLA improved their defense this year while their offense has completely fallen off a cliff, mm -hmm. we would be having different discussions. So Lincoln Riley owns that decision. Yeah, He owns the, the evaluation of the offensive line. He owns all of those. Like those are all valid. But it's not criticism of Lincoln Riley as a like as a things that he's gotten wrong at USC. It's the people who want him to leave for the NFL and think that would benefit USC. It's the people who want him gone and think that would benefit USC. It's the people who have fallen victim to the to the endless stream of Oklahoma fans who are uh, bitter and and feeling themselves right now about like oh we were right about Lincoln Riley even though the the vast majority of the evidence around this head coach is that he figures it out and he wins football games and that USC fans are acting like USC is three and three when they're six and one and all, like all of that kind of stuff is what I'm frustrated with but there's absolutely elements that you can critique my issue with yours particular critiques here are okay what would you have had them do because if you're talking about developing your program from within, this is why you don't judge head coaches in year one or year two. Because you have had no time to develop your program from within. USC has had to do a full rebuild on a four and eight football team that played the worst football that I've ever seen at USC and come in and, and lit in an era where you get hired at the start of November, at the start of December, and there's a signing day that your recruiting class is essentially locked in two weeks later. So your first recruiting class is basically a wash. So the development that you're asking, the, 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 the players that USC has evaluated and decided are going to be part of their system going forward are really only the 2023 guys who are all true freshmen there's a there's a whole wave of offensive linemen that USC has brought in that reasonably you can't touch that you can't rely on yet because they haven't had time to 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 develop them. Um, it's about being patient and understanding that just because things are going wrong right now doesn't mean that the program itself is in a free fall the way that people are talking about. You can't not rely on the transfer portal and only rely on development and only give a year and a half to do it. That's yeah. just not how... Like, Ideally, you want to do both. You right? want to do both. And that's what USC was trying to do. And they've missed the mark on several on several of these guys. Um, but also, like, I would argue, when the thing about Bear Alexander is that I am surprised at how big of an impact he's having right now because he's still a young guy. Like, like uh, the, the idea of, uh, of Anthony Lucas, because he's not immediately playing... As being a starter and at a high level at USC, dude is still a, a, what amounts to like a redshirt freshman. He's a, he's a, in his second year. Like, give some of these guys time. Um, the offensive linemen are definitely the offensive linemen and the linebackers are definitely the biggest issue that I have. 
the linebackers to me are very like Ale- the decision to return Alex Grinch is the end all be all decision of why things feel as as poorly as they do. I can't even get that mad about the offensive line because again, it was a crapshoot. You either had to bring in a bunch of transfers to try and plug those holes and hope that they worked out or play literally a bunch of freshmen on the offensive line and live with the groaning pains of that, which probably leave you in a very similar position. Yeah, That's not to say that there aren't really valid criticisms of how USC has gotten less out of guys like Tarquin and Kingston and, um, and Pregnon than they had at their previous stops. But this is also a really good reminder that uh, a, a really good reminder that individuals on offensive lines are, are not, the end all be like the offensive line is a unit. You need that unit to be playing well together and building that chemistry and having that chemistry is, is not something you can necessarily like whip up in a lab in the transfer portal and decide like that these are all going to fit. And if you, and if the puzzle pieces don't fit, then you're sort of this, you're you're sort of screwed. Um, Moreover, like, you know, Brenton in the chat is is asking Oklahoma's doing it after year one. Why can't we do it in two years? Oklahoma lost a bunch of like Oklahoma has lost more games since Lincoln Riley left than USC has. People are jumping the gun about what you about where USC and Oklahoma are because Oklahoma beat a Texas team that is the same Texas team that we've seen lose the big game every single year because that's you know Texas being back is the biggest uh, is is the biggest predictable thing about well like the moment you start talking about Texas being back they're going to lose that game like there's a lot of there's a lot of in the moment ism about the state of Oklahoma and like Kenny says in the chat like Oklahoma was an 11 win team that lost a bunch of games last year and is now winning games that they that in, in a in a manner that is probably closer to what they should have been all along. Like I, I th- well, people I, are drawing conclusions based on a fraction of the, of this, of the, uh, of the scenario and not the full picture of the scenario. Like have some patience. It's fine to let it play out and see where everybody is at the end of the day. I, I, is Oklahoma beyond USC at this point? Can you really say that? I don't think you can. I, 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 I don't know that, that you can definitively say that about where they are as a program. As, yes, is Oklahoma better than SC right now? Yeah, yeah. But, like, to your point, so much about that is the is retaining Alex Grinch, right? Um, yeah. Oklahoma has the, the – where they are is so much – is so similar to what normally happens when you have a coaching change which is that they went out and they got a guy who we all put high on our list in Venables, who what if it's the, the prototypical like way of uh, a head coach succeeding, which is going out and getting a national championship coordinator, um, which is one of the blueprints for like, that's what Kirby smart was. That's what Bob Stoops was. Right. Um, that's one of the blueprints for how you can win a title. Right. Uh, and they had a lot of changeover in the first year. And they lost games, but now they're starting to put things together. Like that's what happens when you make a coaching change, right? SC's problem, I think, um, is that they were SC's expectations rapidly changed in year one because they went eleven and one the regular season last year. Yeah, 
And maybe part of that is just because of the schedule. Maybe it's part, just because SC didn't have to fl- play Oregon and Washington le- next, last year. And maybe it was just the benefit of the schedule. Who knows? But they went 11-1 last year. They won, they won a Heisman Trophy. And I think it completely changed the expectations. You and I were predicting something like eight and three, eight and four, uh, nine and four, eight and four last, nine and three, eight and four last year, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and SC went and went eleven and one because of the transfer portal. They got a lot of hits on the transfer portal to to work out. Uh, and yeah, I think the transfer portal in general is a more reliable option because you should get what you should be seeing what you get right. You see what these kids are. But it's for short-term benefit. Um, the problem with SC right now is, yeah, I, I think it's a valid point that Andrew makes that a lot of those guys haven't, aren't playing well or aren't playing at the same level as they were before, like a Dorian Singer, like those offensive linemen who you could look at and say, well, they they succeeded in their previous roles. Why are they not doing that at, at, at USC? I think that's different than being critical of, say, Anthony Lucas, who is someone you got with a lot of term, right? He came with a lot of eligibility left, um, and he's someone who it's not like he was starting for Texas A&M last year. And, uh, like, no, he was uh, a blue-chip recruit that wanted greener pastures and left Texas A&M after one year. That's a different mm-hmm. that's that's a different story. I want to get to this YouTube comment that we got from KSLJ11 uh, from our last podcast uh, that sort of talks about the same thing. Uh, it says Riley and Henson misevaluated. They ran off Cortland Ford instead of developing him. If he's still here, we have three returning offensive linemen. They also have taken people from their natural slash previous positions, and if you're going to bring in transfers, at least put them in the same position they had last year. NFL teams make this mistake all the time in free agency. They sign a player, then ask him to do what they want him to do rather than what he was already good at. All we can hope is that they continue to gel and find cohesion. To help that, Lincoln needs to utilize the tight end more in pass pro, and they can either chip and release with an outlet receiver or just help tee the double team. Seven-man protection needs to become part of the plan, mix it up. Lincoln's either smart enough to do this or he isn't, and the results will bear that out. Yeah, I, I read this yesterday, and I was nodding the entire way. Yeah. Um, the part, Okay, but but this is also, I think the, end, the, the ending there is what's important. Lincoln will either figure this out or he won't, and the, and the results will bear that out. I also think it's a little rich talking about Cortland Ford as though he would be the savior of this offensive line. Well, I think it's rich to say the same same thing about Gino Quinones, too. Cortland Ford is not starting at Kentucky where he transferred. Sure. So was it, and and we don't know why Cortland Ford left. He might have seen the writing on the wall with all the transfers in and decided that he wanted to go seek a starting role somewhere else or, or whatever it was. But he's not starting where he left, where he yeah. where he went. So it's not like this is not a success story that oh USC screwed up their evaluation and had a, a a diamond in the rough you know clear starter available to them. That that's sort of not the way that that that's that's uh, revisionist history. Um, there's also an element too where the idea that USC brought in transfers and is asking them to do something that they weren't good at the year before. The story that we heard about somebody like Jarrett Kingston is that he and he wanted to play tackle 
he came to play tackle. That was his whole deal. Uh, or, or, or Michael Tarquin, that they wanted to play. Like, every, all of these guys want to prove that they're a tackle, and not all of them can play tackle. So, like, again, it's not it's, it's not always going against well, the, the wishes. The Elijah Vera Tucker thing, too, right? Yeah, it's not always going against the wishes of the player. A lot of times the players want to, you know, come to a, to a school and want to do a thing, and maybe that's not their uh, best interest. So uh, I, I just think, I think things are... I, it's not that this is wrong. It's that things are so much more complicated and complex than any of us can sort of even fathom in terms of getting these things right. And things go wrong at the at the merest little little switch. Sure. And there's always an explanation for why a thing has gone wrong. And it doesn't always... The explanation doesn't always have to be, well, this person is and will always be bad at their job. Like, sometimes that is the answer looking at you, Alex Grinch, but that doesn't mean that the long-term kind of projection trajectory of the program is the, what people are saying it is right. in terms of... Well, look at Nick Saban and all the quarterback decisions he's gotten wrong, yes. right? Um, well, and look at Nick Saban and his, uh, his offensive coordinator decision th- this past year. Look at Nick Saban's sure. team. Look at Nick Saban's team when their offensive line was getting absolutely worked by USF. Yeah, well, they so look terrible. I I think the 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 thing with the offensive line for me and and the the biggest my biggest taking point talking uh, whatever uh is that the conversation for years was that uh Clay Elton could not recruit on the offensive line. Uh they had changed what they were that what they were doing. They wanted to end up going for taller more slender guys at one point. They got a bunch of three stars. People weren't happy with it, whatever. But they ended up the those so many of those offensive lines that ended up having great talent because there'd be one guy that was the 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 star, right? Elijah Vera Tucker. We talked about this before. Uh, Austin Jackson, um, and then one of those three star guys ended up pan, panning out and being the best of all of them. Andrew mm-hmm. Voorhees, right? But the COVID year meant that the buck kept getting passed back. They kept like to where the the recruiting misses. I don't think SC truly felt until about now, and so yes, ideally, um, the you wouldn't have to rely on the transfer portal on the offensive line because they would have been able to have all those guys there. But the guys that Lincoln Riley inherited, who were the great offensive linemen, had one year of eligibility left, and we saw them last year. And that's why SC was such a dominant run blocking team last year. And this year they're gone. And I think that there absolutely needs to be um, some eyes on, on Henson for, for why is that the case? Why is it that last year they had Voorhees and, and Nilan and why were they great as run blockers, but not pass protection? Why couldn't they do both? Why is it that this year they can't do either? Well, but um, it's also like it's, it's, I I th- I, th- I think you I think you can be absolutely critical of of Josh Henson when you look at Clay McGuire. Clay McGuire came in in year one and turned the offensive line around. Yes, but and yes, he had Voorhees and Nilon on on his offensive line, but like, and I know that it's it's rare for the for the one year offensive line coach to to turn things around because 
we we've seen it going all the way back the last decade. SC is a new offensive line coach every year or two, and every single one of them has done the same exact had the same exact failures, except for Clay McGuire. But that's that's the thing though is is everyone is looking at a three game sample for this offensive line yeah. as proof that Josh Henson sucks or that Clay that Lincoln Riley's offense sucks. Sure. While completely ignoring a 13-14 game season last year where the offensive line was doing the job and getting the job done and clearly there something was working there. So what changed? The personnel changed. Now, can't you you can't necessarily skate on me defending you on October 18th, 2023. Right. I'm just saying you can't you keep saying the personnel changed. Well, no, without without only, also saying right, well, but that's why you don't judge a staff in year two. The only reason the Alex Grinch gets the judgment is because he was literally doing the exact same thing at Oklahoma and came over. It was also Lincoln historically all, bad, right? Like yeah, yeah. I think you can fire a coach in year one if they are historically bad. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. But again, it's 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 this idea that like USC was better than expected in in twenty twenty two and. They are not as good as expected in 2023. Still six and one, but not as good as expected. And the only the only uh, evidence or only examples that people are drawing are from a three game stretch of that instead of looking at the full picture of a program that isn't up there at national title level, but is still doing significantly better than it was, and is still in the process of continuing to lay down the foundations. That can that can bring it to competing at that level, and people want to skip the foundation part. People want to jump ahead to well, this is just proof that uh, USC got worked by Notre Dame. Uh, this is proof that that USC's offense is is exposed and out there and all that kind of stuff. Let's ignore the fact that USC's offensive line dominated the game against Notre Dame last year. That has nothing to do with anything. But again, um, they had Voorhees the, and Elon. Well, yes. Yeah, you don't have Voorhees and Neil on yet uh, anymore. The transfers you brought in didn't work. It could be as simple as the transfers that you brought in didn't work. We literally don't have the sample size to say that, yeah, this is what's going to happen with every offensive line that USC has going forward. It's jumping the gun. That's why I get frustrated by it. It's just absolutely jumping the gun. Well, we'll see. I think Saturday is a perfect test for that right then you'll see what yeah. it is against against utah if they are very bad against utah again well it's you, you can't just keep saying it's been the last couple of games right it's yeah. then then these things you know keep going yeah um and yeah. uh for, for the record greg asked how many years of eligibility do the offensive line transfers have they're all, uh, with the exception of Pregnon, they're all out. Kingston, Tarquin, yeah. they are uh, redshirt seniors. They are yeah. out of eligibility. Brenton in all caps says, you're overlooking the fact that we expected playoffs under Caleb in 2024. I don't think anyone's overlooking that at all. Like that That's why this conversation exists, right? If if playoffs weren't, weren't the issue, no one's mad about six and one, especially when... I know people don't like this. The people hate hearing this. This is SC controls their own destiny in the Pac-12. <laughs> SC controls their own destiny nationally. If they win out, they will be in the playoff. 
this is but but that that statement is exactly why I get frustrated with sports fans in general because reactions to things are so tied to your expectations of what a team was going to be instead of sitting back and then thinking on okay this is the reality of what this team is is that the end of the world does it, does is Caleb Williams's championship window the same thing as USC's championship window if you think that it is, well, then yeah, you should probably be panicking. But also, I think I would have told you you're making a mistake in thinking that in the in the first place. Um, my whole I, I think th- SC should have gone in this year expecting to wanting to go to the playoff. Wanting absolutely. to do exactly yes. yeah. Abs- no, yes. no, no, I'm not saying that. Ex- that but, but but I also but I've now said many. I've now said many times when we finished the 2022 season and looked ahead to what 2023 could bring. We saw three things. Number one, the schedule was going to be significantly more difficult. Number yeah. two, that success on defense was going to be hinge on Alex Grinch being significantly better than he was the year before. And number three, that USC's biggest vulnerability on offense, that they, the, in order to continue having the success that we're going to have, was that they needed to plug those holes on the offensive line. Well, the schedule got a lot more difficult. The defense didn't get better. And the offensive line pl- holes didn't get plugged. Yeah. Now, are those problems? Absolutely. Does that mean anything in the broad scheme of what direction the program is going in? I think it's premature to draw conclusions based on those things. Look around the country every year. There are always mm-hmm. teams that aren't as good as you think they are, that, that they will be, and there are teams that are way better than you think they will be. And everybody is fighting that battle. And only one team gets to come out at the end of it saying, uh, yeah, we were good enough to go win a national title. Yeah, I, I, I think the other thing is we talked about it in there. At least I know that I talked about it before the season. I think SC could have a worse schedule, a worse record, but be better by the eye test. Yeah. Um, I think as it stands now, they probably will have a worse record than last year, um, at least during the regular season. Yeah. They're not passing the eye test. But they're, test but, and they're not passing the eye test. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, let's get to a question we got here on Discord. Uh, you can always join our Discord for $4.99 a month. You get to become a member of the Rot Squad, get all of our bonus content, including our Thursday nights, uh, Rot After Dark episodes, uh, and access to the Discord where you can talk with us and other Rot Bots 24-7. As much as you want. Uh, Tim and Eli says, I know you guys are always uh, ready to talk about things that need to be fixed for Saturday, O-line giving up penetration, uh, kickoff coverage, bad throws, etc. So I don't want to be redundant asking about any of that. So without factoring in any of the how we got here, here's the question. Let's say I'm not going to watch the Utah game, but I'm only going to check the final score. I want to look at the score and just be able to say, okay, Looks like USC is turning things around and is headed in the right direction. What should that score be? Um, if USC gets anywhere close to scoring 40 points, I think you have to feel like the offense has figured something out against this defense. Like that scoring, you know, 35 points against this defense, I think you have to give the flowers to the offensive line for figuring that out. Assuming that the eye test is passed there and it's not just Caleb being Superman mm-hmm. and, you know, doing all that. Um, and if you hold Utah to, 
I'm, I'm going to say if it's 35 to 14, I think you can look at that as a minimum of, yeah, USC has, uh, has at least stopped the bleeding. And we can all sort of go back to looking at the rest of the season rationally. If USC comes close to scoring 40 points, uh, while holding them under 20? Yeah, 42 to 14, I would be ecstatic. Over 40 under 20, uh, I think would be yes. I think that would look that would visually look great for SC. I think that if SC was fire, firing on all cylinders, yeah, I think this team is like you said, it's a team that you you can beat 31-13 or something yeah. like that. But like Walker in the um, chat, Walker in the chat says judging, judging a game against the top defense is pointless, just win. Yeah. That's the thing. That's well, the thing. But also, the, the thing for USC the rest of the way, it doesn't you do not need style points or anything like that. You just no. need to win the games that are in front of you yes. and the rest is completely There's, moot. You could win this game 5 to 3. And the only oh important thing is that you won the damn game. The, SC's not that ready for the Big Ten. <laughs> the Big Ten. Uh, no, the other thing is, I will, I will just preface: uh, scores do not matter and are not indications of how games played out. Yeah, uh, I think that they are ways to get fooled into things. Um, I think if you didn't watch the Notre Dame game last year, last week, and you saw that it was forty-eight twenty, you would have thought that SC had, you know. Got blown out 48-20. Did they get blown out 48-20? In terms of what the offensive line did, yes, right? But that game wasn't 48-20 to because the defense didn't get gassed by 48 worth. The offensive line got gassed 48 points worth, but, like, not the defense. And did did SC score 20 points? I I don't think SC would score 20. Like, they, they weren't worthy of 20 points themselves like yeah. score lines can be deceiving um so yeah i i, I think that yeah if, if you if you beat them 35 14 31 13 like you said i think that will look look good i don't know that that will necessarily be indicated indicating anything else um all right final question jjs in the chat says sc wins out who do they bump michigan ohio state georgia Florida State, Big 12 winner, possibly undefeated? I don't know. I, I, I Here's my thing. I talk about this all the time. I I am a big proponent that the, the, the playoff should be flexible year by year, depending on how the thing goes out, and that, yeah, you should never guarantee that you'll get in the playoff. And so, yeah, me saying that SC definitely will be in the playoff is a little bit of a figure of speech there. Um, because you don't know. You could go undefeated and then there's 12 other undefeated teams somehow and suddenly you're not in the playoff, right? I think the point is if you go, if you if SC wins out and they're 12 and 1, they are at least playoff caliber. They should be in a playoff if they end up getting snubbed that was so completely out of their control that it's it's not worth being upset about. Be- SC people would be upset. Obviously, you'd be upset. You'd be hurt and all those things. But, like, I'm saying it, it wouldn't be in your control. If you go 12-1 and one with wins over Washington, Oregon, Utah, UCLA, and then another one of them in the Pac-12 championship game, and someone else has a better resume than you, then, psh, God, I just, what can you do? It's, that wasn't that wasn't your fault. I guess, what, what could you have done? I guess you could have not beaten, lost another day. Sure, that's what you could have done. Yeah. But also, that resume is good enough to get into the playoff. 
Yeah, uh, I think I think the teams that would be in trouble there, if if we're assuming that everybody is pretty, you know, doesn't just fall off a cliff, the teams that are in trouble there are Florida State and Oklahoma. But um, the ACC has the weird thing of like they have three undefeated teams that could meet at the end of the season, and none of them have played each other. So yeah. you could end up with two ACC teams at the end of the season, a 13-0 and champ that played in the championship game and a 12-0 and guy that got snubbed. And then what, it, what do you have? If USC beats Utah, Oregon, Washington, UCLA, and one of Oregon and Washington or Oregon State or somebody like that, again, on top of that, they will not be left out for the second undefeated ACC team that didn't win their conference. I can tell you that with a certainty. Yeah. Um, the issue for Florida State and Oklahoma is just they don't have any really marquee good game. Like, during that stretch where USC would be, <laughs> theoretically, because I don't think it's going to happen, but during that stretch where USC theoret- theoretically rips off all of those huge wins, um, Florida State doesn't have a good matchup ahead of them. Oklahoma doesn't have a good matchup ahead of them. Uh USC strength of schedule is across the board better than all of those teams. And mm-hmm. a, 12, a, a an 11 and one USC whose only loss is to Notre Dame on a night where Caleb Williams threw three interceptions. I think the playoff committee looks at that and says, we're not leaving that team out for a rivalry game that they play on the road every other year that they absolutely do not have to have scheduled. Yeah. Well, cause if SC had played, uh, Notre Dame uh, University of Nebraska. If, yeah, if they, I, if they played St. Mary's, if, if assuming there's a Notre Dame the University of Nebraska, I don't yeah. know. Uh, then it would have, been, you know, an FCS team or whatever. Yeah. Uh, then it then it would be difficult. Yeah. I uh, mean, it would be different. I, but it's it's all hypothetical. The, I, the point I, I is, if you is, win out, yeah, you have all the argument in the world to be a playoff team. Yes. That's what you can control. That's what you can control. Um, obviously, it would be better if you were undefeated and had that resume on top of it. Uh, but SC won't have that that luxury now. So, mm-hmm. you you also literally no one has ever gone undefeated in the Pac-12. No one's got nine and zero ever. Yeah. So SC would be the first per. I'm not predicting it. I'm not predicting it's, it. It's far fetched. So like, let's no. let's be realistic. But you know. All right, that's going to wrap it up. We got dinner plans. Uh, we're going to head out. Uh, we'll be back um, Saturday night after the car cast. Probably going to be about 1030 at night. So um, get ready for that. Um, it's not going to be immediately after the game. Uh, so should be about 1030 or so. Um, so keep an eye out for that. It gives you time to get home from the Coliseum. Uh, then uh, buy some hot cocoa. Cozy up on the couch and turn on your YouTube people do that i don't know i i I, I suppose so i i watch most of my youtube on my phones i watch it while i'm getting wrecked in uh fifa (laughs) or eafc so all right uh we will uh catch you guys uh next time till then see ya when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, 
code PROGRAM. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.